Hello and welcome to another episode of the Paddock Pass podcast. My name is David Emmett from Motomatters.com and with me today is... Neil Morrison from Crash.net and Road Racing World. And Tony Goldsmith from Bike Sport News and Asphalt and Rubber. And uh, we uh, are hot foot from Valencia, from the uh, circuits uh, Ricardo Tormo at Cheste, um, after what to me was a fascinating and very, very odd weekend. Yeah, it was. It was in some ways uh, the kind of championship showdown that we that we had hoped for in the fact that the race went right onto the wire. The championship uh, basically went on to the last lap, pretty much the last couple of corners of the last lap, had us guessing. Uh, but also there was a rather ugly aftermath, which uh, left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth, I felt. Yeah, exactly. And it, obviously it all kicks off at Sepang. As we discussed in the last pod- podcast, the events of Sepang uh, were really where it all began. Um, first of all, the press conference on on Thursday where Valentino comes out all guns blazing for Mark, uh, blaming uh, Marquez for um, basically you know slowing him up at Phillip Island and ruining him, uh, uh, ruining his, he, he, trying to ruin his, his championship prospects. Uh, then the incident in the race where they come together and Mark Marquez falls and uh, Mark uh, and... Um, Rossi's given three penalty points, meaning he starts from the back of the grid. Um, and then the court cases. We heard, obviously, um, uh, Valentina Rossi went to the Court of Arbitration for Sport uh, asking for a stay of his penalty, which would basically mean that uh, he was asking for his penalty to be suspended so he wouldn't have to serve it at Valencia, which was very much the point of actually being hit at Valencia with his penalty. That was why he was given that penalty. Uh, then Jorge Lorenzo gets uh, got involved, uh, asked for a, uh, a, a an amicus brief, which basically means he advises the court, um, sent a lot of papers. His request was rejected, but the court accepted his papers. And then on Thursday, at just as we were in uh, HRC, uh, for a uh, for a press conference about uh, nothing. About nothing. That's right. The press conference where they were going to show us the data and then decided they weren't going to show us the data because they didn't want to ruin the outcome of the case. And then just as we were all standing there, um, uh, someone says, "Oh, the results in um, uh, Rossi's repa- uh, request has been rejected. Um, can you talk about it?" And then they said, "No, no, no. We don't want to. Don't want to talk about it. We don't want to ruin the. Um, uh, we don't want to be seen as a party." It, it was. That whole Thursday was just such a such a very very odd day. Yeah, it was probably the first event of of a line of events which were you know, quite badly mismanaged. You would have to say by Dorna. Um, there was a chance there to to put the riders um, to sit them side by side in one press conference uh, in front of the cameras, in front of the watching world, the watching media. Uh, a chance to kind of show that they were grown up. Uh, sufficiently to be able to sit next to each other and look each other in the eye and maybe even shake each other's hands. Um, but rather than that, they were all, um, the press conferences were all at individual locations. Uh, basically, the riders were told beforehand not to not to mention anything about Sepang. And we were basically given, um, we, we, were, we had to stand around and wait and watch riders talk about nothing for, uh, you know, the duration of the press conference. It was a rather, yeah, underwhelming day to what we kind of thought was going to be, you know, you know, uh, continue of uh, you know emotionally charged excitement and, and drama that we had we had seen at Sepang. It, exactly, it was just the the whole rider meeting because uh, well the, the the permanent bureau, which is the very highest organ in uh, a Grand Prix motorcycle racing, which is basically just the um, boss of Dorna Carmelo uh, Carmelo Espaleta and the boss of the FIM Vito Ippolito. Um, they had in uh, they had called a meeting. Uh, all of the riders were were called to the meeting. I was standing outside in um, uh, in the paddock when. Just before the meeting was started, I was sitting there chatting to someone, and we saw all the riders start to go past. And we thought, "Oh well, ah right, must be here now." Well, uh, I wonder who's going. Uh, I wonder how it's going to going. How long it's going to take? What they're going to be talking about? Won't be out for hours. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, we saw the first. Well, first of all, we saw one rider go past. Well, ah right, okay. So maybe they've just let one person out. But then all of them all came out. So it was like, well, what what was the point of that? There was. There was nothing at all. Did you hear anything from the meeting? Um, I heard that uh, really um, a great deal wasn't said to the the majority of the riders. It was just a reminder of um, you know of the, the the kind of implications of doing anything incredibly stupid in front of the the watching world. Uh, the implications of what they what that would have. 
Um, and then there was also talk that maybe the, the three riders, uh, Lorenzo, Marquez and Rossi, um, were kind of pulled to one side and specifically asked um, not to talk about uh, the events of Sepang. Is that what you heard, David? Uh, yeah, yes, yes. But I, I only heard it at about fourth hand. So um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, at that point, <laughs> at that point, you really don't know. You really don't know what, uh, what to believe. What were you doing on Thursday? Were you out uh, taking photos, Tony, to uh, uh, pit lane or... Uh, I had a, a pretty lazy Thursday. I didn't really get up to a great deal. I, What's any different for you? Um, it Sometimes it depends on who I'm working for, uh, whether I need to cover the press conference or not. Uh, for asphalt and rubber, there is not a, any pressure from Jensen to cover the press conference, so uh, a lot of the times I don't. So for me, no. Um, it was a pretty quiet day. Um I know at one point we did try our very best to get a spy in uh, in the meeting, but we failed miserably. He was having none of it, <laughs> and, uh, which is probably just as well because we might have got him and ourselves in a whole shitstorm of trouble. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. The, uh, uh, the our our um, rider of choice refused point blank to switch his telephone on for us, which we which was <laughs> poor form. We felt yeah, exactly. absolutely desperately yeah. bad. Poor form. pussy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you know, I do remember. You know, by the by the time we got to Thursday night, I was just thinking, I cannot wait to watch motorbikes going around on tracks again. Yeah. On Friday morning, I'm kind of uh, a little tired of all this uh, this whole storm that's that's kind of surrounded the paddock. Yeah. For yeah. the past two weeks. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it, it, exactly. The whole thing was really um, overblown. I don't even know whether to say. It was overblown. It's just that it'd been going on for so long. There'd be so many twists and turns. I kept on thinking, uh, you know, walking away from my computer because obviously I wasn't in. Uh, uh, I wasn't in Sepang. Uh, you guys were in Sepang. Um, every time I walked away from my computer, I thought, "Well, well that's all right. Well, I'll go and have a couple of hours and, uh, of doing nothing." And then I'd sneak a look at my phone, and then you know somebody would have done something or said something to make the situation worse. It was just it was getting wildly out of hand. So yeah, Friday morning. Actual motorbikes actually going around uh, uh, around track that was fantastic. Yeah, and it, it, I, you know, I felt personally, um, and this is from a you know an unbiased view that it was it was a bit of a relief that the Rossi's penalty was imposed from Sepang, because I felt that if it wasn't, it would have been you know uh, there's no way that it would have been it would have been right that he could have got away from what he did at Sepang, um, and whether he intended to do it, whether he didn't, for it for it to go unpunished. Uh, in, in probably you know the biggest race of the year, um, and I think it was uh, you know it was only right that he started the race from the back of the grid. I felt you know quite relieved actually for for the kind of integrity of the sport. That sounds pretty terrible, but you know, um, yeah, for you know when everyone was watching on, that uh, that that was enforced. Yeah, I mean to me it was. The, the, I think the most interesting thing was that. Uh, um, in the previous podcast, when we had Jensen on, he was sort of able to explain a little bit about what the cast does, about the, uh, about what the court does, and they'd look at it on purely procedural grounds, and they basically rejected it on purely procedural procedural grounds. The um, uh, race direction had um, uh, examined the, the the penalty, or they'd, they'd examined the incident correctly. Um, FIM stewards had uh, reviewed the uh, appeal through procedurally correctly. And so really, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, really, the, the, Rossi had no, had no, uh, no grounds for, uh, for immediate relief um, of the penalty at Valencia. So, yeah, we got, uh, we got the race that we, we had been expecting at, uh, after Sepang, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, there was maybe a, maybe a, a naive thought that that would be the end of it. Uh, that would be the end of the discussion uh, on Thursday evening. But how wrong were we? Because uh, although we were, we were treated to, you know, another fascinating spectacle, yeah. another race charged with so much tension, I can't imagine an end of, of championship that went, you know, I think maybe the Moto3 race in 2013, which went to the last corner yeah. of the last lap. That was that was something special, but this was really something incredible as well um, to see to see Pedroza uh, closing on Marquez and, and Lorenzo like that, uh, to see whether whether Lorenzo could, could keep his head, um, which he did. 
um yeah and we thought that that was it that was uh that was the, the matter settled but uh sadly uh, after the race it all kicked off again yeah exactly well the, the the thing is i remember before the race lots of fans were basically saying you know it's over the whole thing is over uh there's no way that roxy can come from the from the back of the grid all the way through but um he rode an absolutely spectacular race Rossi, yeah, he did, he did, he, you know, it was, um, it was kind of the, the Rossi of old, um, you know, there are flashes of, of 2004 in there in Qatar, you know, where he jumped maybe five or six riders on the way down to the first corner. Yeah, I, I think those first, the, the, especially those first overtakes, that was just the difference between um, uh, the open bikes and the, the, the full factory bikes with, their, with the, the launch control on those bikes is, you know, it makes such a big difference. Yeah, that, that was evident to me. I went to the to the back of the grid to to focus on Rossi leaving the line, and you could see that how quickly he got off the line. He left the the guys around him for dead. Yeah, I mean, could you can you actually see the 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 difference in the in in the way that the bikes react and, uh, and move? Obviously, you're trying to look at it through a camera lens, and you're focusing solely on your focus point which in this particular occasion is is Rossi um, but I mean, even through the camera I could see how well he got off the line around the, the bikes with with the bikes around him he really did get off to a really good start and obviously had Cal uh, I don't know what happened to Cal on the uh, on the formation lap he ended up at the back of the grid and he he left Cal behind as well uh, yeah, again, I think that is the, the, the strength of the MR this year has been the the, the drive off the line, uh, the, the drive out of slow corners, uh, mechanical grip. And you really saw that coming out of the final corner onto the back straight. In, in, in years past, if a Honda was uh, behind or next to a Yamaha coming onto the uh, onto the front straight, there was no there was no question. But the, the, this year's Honda is 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 just terrible, basically, um, uh, it just has no rear grip, the rear just wants to spin and it gets no drive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's, yeah. Uh, That seemed the, the case to me from, like I say, from watching it at the back of the grid, Rossi just seemed to drive straight off off the line, um, the, the bikes around him struggled to get away and obviously Cal, who we see maybe struggles for, for starts at the best of times. Uh, I don't know, do, do, do you guys know what happened to Cal to, to bring um, him to the back of the grid? No, but I mean, in the whole in the whole chaos of yesterday evening, I'm afraid, like you know, most of the the normal debrief times were were kind of cut off and cancelled. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. in terms of speaking to anyone other than the the top three and Rossi um, and Ducati as well, that that went ahead. Yeah. But um, the other debriefs didn't happen. So yeah, still haven't haven't seen Kyle or spoken to him about Sunday's race. Uh, no, I, I think he had a, I think he had a mechanical, uh, uh, some kind of a mechanical issue, which meant he had to, he had to go that. into the pits and and start the sighting lap or the warm up lap from the uh, from the pits, which meant he had to line up on the uh, line up from the back of the grid. So it was it was it was just a whole, uh, it was just a very strange situation. And as you say, the race was, uh, I don't think you would call it exciting, but it was thrilling. Yeah, because it was it was just tense. There was so much tension there all the time. Uh, Lorenzo got off to his usual uh, lightning start. Uh, the two Hondas got behind him, but um, they never really got. They, they never really seemed to get close close enough to actually to actually hold on to him uh, or, or, or to try to make a pass. Uh, afterwards, Mark said, uh, "You know, he was planning something for the last uh, for the last lap, but that that never came on. Uh, came on a bit like he did in Indianapolis, a bit like he did in Aston, where he waited. He just sat sat with uh, uh, with Rossi and, and and waited to to try to make a pass, but um, uh, but never did. But or, or well, waited for the for the last moment. Um, that didn't happen. Um, but you could see, you could really see just how hard Mark uh, Marquez was was pushing to actually stay with Lorenzo because Lorenzo's pace was just phenomenal. Yeah, it really was. It was, um, you know, we, we talked about this. I think after Aragon, he was doing the same tactic throughout free practice, just um, on his outlap from the pit lane, getting the first half of of that lap completed, and then just pelting it on, you know, full tank, uh, new tires. Well, not new new tires but cold tires um and you know he he was working towards uh, obviously getting away at the, at the front um at the start built up a good good margin and really um as pedroza i think at one stage pedroza was about three seconds off the the front two you kind of thought like well that's fine because in that situation lorenzo was okay to finish second uh if rossi was fourth at that stage so that was that was cool um but really with about i think eight seven laps pedroza um, had had kind of been pushing hard at, uh, from the off. Noticed his front tire wasn't feeling so good. Had to 
cool down a little or cool it down a little bit, roll off, you know, in kind of relative terms. And uh, and then whenever he felt everything come back to him, he started making up ground, you know, at a phenomenal rate. Lorenzo's uh, Lorenzo's rear tire was completely spent. Um, the best of that was gone, and then he kind of closed in, um, really until I think the penultimate lap. Whenever he he moved past Marquez. And uh, yeah, and you felt at that stage that he really could he could go on to win the race. Uh, yeah, you know, with which could have had potentially disastrous consequences for for Jorge. Absolutely. Um, uh, if both the Repsols had, had got past, that basically would have meant that he'd that that, that uh, Lorenzo would have lost the championship because. Uh, again, Rossi got off the line well, but he rode a fantastic race, really slicing through the field, and was I think by about lap eleven or twelve, he was already up into into uh, into fourth place, which was good enough for him to. Uh, he, he then needed someone to get past. Um, uh, he needed the two Hondas to get past uh, Lorenzo to um, uh, to bump him down into uh, into third. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, Pedrosa. Got past, uh, got past Marquez, but went in a little bit too hot. Ran a little bit wide. Um, uh, Marquez came straight back again, but also that cost them time. They lost half a second. Uh, yeah, half a second, and that was the difference between being close enough to actually make a um, uh, you know attempt to pass and, and not being able to do, to do it. Yeah, from what I could see in the race, I think for, well, it was clear clear to everyone really was that Mark was. Appeared close enough um, through the second sector uh, as they approached turn six, which is the uphill left-hander before the back straight. He, there was, I think, three or four occasions where he was definitely close enough to Lorenzo to make a move, but he opted not to do that. He, he thought he would he would sit behind because after that, Lorenzo was then strong, and um, and especially through the last the last section, we saw in qualifying just how brilliant Lorenzo was yeah. through that final sector, through that long left, and um, yeah, Marquez had done really well on the last lap to the kind of um, to the whittle away. That, that half second that he had lost the previous lap, but he still wasn't close enough on that final corner without doing something silly. Yeah. If if Marquez had the chance of winning the world title by overtaking Lorenzo there, I'm convinced he would do it. Yeah, because but, because it looked to me like he was he, but, he tried to line he tried to line it up. Yeah, he yeah. got up he got up really close yeah. to the inside, but just couldn't get through. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, is there any point in potentially taking out? The world champion when you have no stake in the world champion in the world championship yourself um probably not i would, uh, say. I would conclude yeah I, I, I mean tony you were out trackside did they uh did the hondas look like they were not trying not to me no um certainly not to see marquez was sat behind lorenzo for 30 laps putting an awful lot of pressure on him uh, if he was not trying then i don't think he would have been that close to him um, but no, to, to me, I mean, out of every corner where I was, he looked like he was really trying. But I mean, we've, we we talked before about um, the advantage the Yamaha has out of corners, and mm. um, everywhere I was watching, Marquez looked like he was trying his absolute utmost uh, to keep with Lorenzo, not necessarily to get past him, but to keep with him. It looked like he was just giving everything he had just to stay with him, it, it and he like- did, and he, he did. But, for thirty laps, and, yeah, and he and he put uh, put Lorenzo under an immense amount of pressure for thirty laps. Okay, maybe he didn't try and put a pass on him, but to put somebody on that amount of pressure for thirty laps, and for for Lorenzo to have soaked that pressure up and and uh, brought it home is um, full credit to Lorenzo for for putting in a ride like that under that amount of pressure. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's something that's gone completely overlooked was what a fantastic ride it was from Lorenzo to comp- with the amount of pressure that was on his shoulders yeah. to maintain his uh, his pace throughout that race and not make one single mistake throughout the the enti- like the race in its entirety. 30 laps around Valencia, which is a tight circuit. 13, 14 corners, I think it is. Yeah, 14, Thir- 14 corners. 14 corners. You know, a tight, twisty track. You know, so much opportunity. If you run offline in that circuit, we saw uh, different points in the qualifying, how, how treacherous it could be when you get offline. Lorenzo didn't do that once in the whole race. It was, it was you know, a staggering display of concentration in the highest, you know, probably... The, PLS performance. Yeah, exactly. You know, probably, you know, the highest stakes that he's ever ridden in. Yeah, I did, to be frank, I think both Yamaha riders rode... Possibly, mm. probably the races mm. of their lives. Mm. Uh, they were both um, pushing as hard as they could do. But w- when you actually look at the pace, the pace was basically um, Lorenzo, Marquez, Pedrosa were doing 131.8, uh, occasional 131.5. 
one thirty one seven. Uh, Rossi, I think he did one 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 thirty one nine, and otherwise it was thirty two two, thirty two three. Yeah, uh, was just never going to get anywhere near them. Yeah, exactly. Um, Rossi, if he hadn't started from the back of the grid, I'm convinced would have finished fourth in that race. His fastest lap of the race was close to half a second slower than Lorenzo's fastest lap of the race. And as you say, very rarely dipped into the 131 bracket, which was pretty much where Marquez and Lorenzo and Pedroza more or less were right up until the end of that race. Yeah, I think between them, they only did, between the three of them, they probably did less than 10 one, uh, laps of 132. Yeah. Uh, uh, the rest were all sort of, you know, 131, uh, mid 131s and, and high 131s. Uh, it was very strange. But the result of the race turned out to be probably the worst possible result you could imagine for, certainly for Honda, um, certainly for Rossi, uh, that it would later transpire, not just for Rossi, but also for the championship. Um, uh, for everyone, for everyone except for Jorge Lorenzo, really. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, results-wise, the fact that he didn't win the championship probably the worst thing for Rossi. But in some ways, you know, more ammunition for Rossi to throw um, for his kind of the kind of strange accusations that he's been making of late. Mm. Um, Philip Island, Sepang here. It hasn't been, you know, what he's been saying hasn't really been what you'd expect of someone in of his status um a man who basically seems to be you know clutching at straws to explain why he didn't have the pace of the front three men um and hasn't had that pace in the past three races yeah i mean basically uh, after the after the race everyone was saying well the riders were saying the same thing that they've been saying all week all year which is that um Lorenzo is faster, Rossi is more consistent and has a better race craft. He manages races better. But if uh, if Lorenzo can uh, if Lorenzo gets a chance to run the pace, there's almost nobody who can uh, who can match him. And in the end, the, the fastest man won the championship. Yeah, seven race wins, seven races where he has won, sorry, where he has led each and every single lap. A, a staggering achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially against this level of, of of competition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and one which I, which I think you know cements Lorenzo's status as one of the one of the all time greats. You know, absolutely. You know, I, I like you know Marquez. You know, probably is a bit is a bit more raw, or as Lorenzo likes to say, explosive kind of pace, uh, yeah. speed. Um, but you know, the fact that Lorenzo is kind of you know. Bar last year, bar 2014, um, you know, has kind of improved pretty much year on year, uh, has found, you know, ways to combat his rivals um, and, and, and to kind of play them at their own game and, and then better them. Um, you know, Lorenzo's really kind of cemented the status as, uh, you know, you know, he's, he's the man that beat Valentino Rossi in one of his best years over the course of a season. I mean, you know, th- there cannot be higher praise for one rider yeah. in the history of motorcycle racing. You know, that's like Agostini beating Hillwood uh, when he did, um, you know, when Hillwood moved to Honda. Um, you know, that is the ultimate compliment you could pay someone. Beating Rossi on the same uh, same equipment, beating Marquez. Um, uh, Marquez, arguably more raw talent, but um, uh, Honda, you know, let down by Honda this year. So uh, the, the the Honda was just not uh, just not competitive. Um, obviously, the the worst possible result for uh, for Rossi, but also for Honda. Honda had mm. explicitly sent um, um, Mark and um, uh, Danny out with one command, one two. One of you has to win the race, and the other one has to um, has to lose the race. Someone from inside Honda told me after the race that um, Mark was actually pretty furious with Pedrosa because um, uh, it was Pedrosa that cost him the chance to attack, uh, uh, to actually put in the attack, which he'd been planning all race on on Lorenzo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, from what Rossi said after the race, he accused Mark. He said it was. Uh, an embarrassment uh, watching, the, watching the final couple of laps he said uh, if you'd watched Marquez in the past two years you realise that he he always attacks uh, you know he, he makes a move as soon as that's possible which you know from watching racing this year is actually incorrect because if you look at, uh, at several races um, Indianapolis yeah. um, Assen uh, Silverstone before he crashed uh, yeah. Marquez's tactic isn't actually to do that it is to, to, to sit in behind someone and to try and work something out you know try and work something out for the final two laps I think that that is is what he was doing. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree. I think uh, the probably one of the things which which uh, Mark has learned at the end of last year when he was starting to struggle with the bike, and certainly this year when he was uh, crashing so much. Yeah, after how many six six race crashes or five race crashes? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th I think six race. That's that's a lot of crashing to yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the having a plan to actually. Uh, Oh, having a plan to approach the race is the way which he has uh, actually learned to learn to deal with, um, learn to stop himself from crashing out because there's no point in crashing out on lap ten, uh, trying to make an impossible pass which is which isn't there. Yeah, you could see that in Catalonia, um, and I think he said after that that Catalonia Mugello, those were the moments where he realised that a he had to change his style and a he had to, and b he had to change his approach to the racing. You know, it was it was basically all or nothing in the first laps. You know, brought about obviously by Honda's problems, but also Lorenzo's you know incredible speed from the start yeah. of the race. Yeah. Um, and you know there there was you know he he racked up an S and, and you know put in one of the most I think mature performances of his uh, of his Grand Prix career to date. You know sitting in behind Ross, he rode a phenomenal race at Assen. Um, you know. Maybe wasn't quite as uh, as streetwise as Rossi was, you know. No, you know, he made he made one really crucial mistake at Assen, and that was that in thinking which the move which he had in his mind to pull off all year, uh, or all all race weekend, because he said afterwards, you know, he'd rocked up on Thursday in the first practice, been practicing that move. He was going to dive up the inside of uh, of, of whoever was in front of him. Uh, um, Get to the uh, get to the apex first, move them out of the way, and then get past. But Rossi's been around um, uh, Aston a lot more often than uh, than than Marquez is, and, and and he paid the price. Yeah, and that kind of brings to mind, you know, what Kenny Roberts said after that famous clash with Spencer and at Anderstorp in '83. He said, "My only mistake was underestimating how much Freddie wanted the win." Yeah. And you know, I think the same could be said of Marquez. You know, yeah. his only mistake was was underestimating just you know what Rossi would do to make sure that he would he would exit that uh, Kurt Temer chicane in first. Place. Yeah, but uh, again, Marquez's will to win seems to be a little bit lacking at uh, uh, at Valencia. But was it his will to win, or is or his will to make a pass? I think um, what is on come out of this, if you if you look back to to Sepang, and he was heavily criticised for racing Valentino, and then um, this week he's criticised for not for not racing. So he's almost in a in a lose lose situation. Yeah. Exactly. He, he, I mean, he was criticised for making nine passes in one lap uh, at Sepang, and this time he's he's criticised for not making any uh, any laps at all. I, I do think that um, uh, the incident at Sepang, obviously, they were both taken into race direction. Uh, Mike Webb explicitly said, I, "I could see what you were doing, but unfortunately, what you were doing wasn't illegal." So he was told very very clearly uh, to be much more uh, uh, much more careful when racing against. Uh, championship contenders. Um, then, of course, we have the meeting. We have the meeting at Valencia on Thursday, and then um, it means because it looked a few times like he was lining lining up, but he couldn't make a clean, safe pass before he, before the race. He uh, he said, you know, if I can make if I can make a safe, clean pass like he did at Phillip Island, uh -huh. um, he was going to make the pass. Yeah, exactly. If you look at um, at, at some of the times that they were um, that they were posting in Philip sorry, in free practice um, on Saturday. Marquez and Lorenzo's times were more or less what they were posting in the race. Um, Pedroza, okay, I've heard some people saying it's, you know, the fact that Pedroza was able to gain on them so rapidly in the, in the closing stages showed that Marquez was holding something back the whole way through. But we have to remember that Pedroza had some laps where he was he went back into the 32s. Marquez was pretty much consistent yeah. at 31s the whole time. And it was there was never a stage where Lorenzo gained by, you know, two, three tenths in the lap and Marquez gained two or three tenths in the lap. It was such little differences the whole race long. Exactly. It was, I, it was I, a, lap know. after lap, you would see yeah. Lorenzo pull a tenth, two tenths, and then uh, Marquez would respond He'd, he'd try and pull the gap again. Yeah. Uh, uh, that would cost him. He would lose a little bit. Uh, Lorenzo would gain a little bit. It was just it were they, they were in Dutch cycle racing. They talk about pe uh, being on an elastic band. It was like there was an elastic band between them, yeah. pulling them, uh, pulling them apart, and then pulling them back together again. But never really getting close enough to actually 
do anything. Exactly. Yeah, I think the the, the biggest advantage Lorenzo had was it was it ever over a second. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. It, it was. I, I don't think it was. I think it, I think it got up to like eight or nine tenths. Yeah. And, uh, no, no, no. I tell like it was. It got it got a little bit over a second. I think in the early stages of the race, and then mm. Marquez started to pull it back. Started yeah. to pull it back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, I, th I think, um, I think I, I accept what Marquez was saying that he was on the limit, um, for the, for the, for all of that race. I think for him to, to go and to make a, a pass in the final, the final lap, what we've already discussed about, you know, the impact Pedroza's move on him had, you know, I think when you're making, uh, when you're riding, um, in, in, in a race like this, you probably got a thousand different things going on in your head and I'm sure just having the tiny little thought or the, the tiniest little thought about something that Mike Webb said, for example, could maybe maybe make you think about something just a little bit longer than normal and in that situation, the opportunity is gone, you know. And when, when you're kind of on the limit, you're at the end of a race, a 30-lap race where your tires are kind of feeling not as good as they should be. Um, you know, that's all it takes for the opportunity to pass you by. Yeah, and I think as you said, uh, last corner. If if it's between him and Lorenzo for the for the championship in that last corner, there is no question he tries to make yeah. it. But there's also I would say end. I would say about thirty percent chance that they that neither of them make through, that, <laughs> through make it through that corner. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If I was going to put you two gentlemen on the spot and we were going to to summarize, uh, Mark, do you think he? Um, Played road defensively to benefit Jorge. Uh, I I do I don't believe he rode defensively to uh, to benefit Jorge. I think uh, as I say, I mean I believe the story that he basically he got held up by uh, Pedrosa. He lost enough ground by uh, by Pedrosa, but I do think he was riding um, more cautiously than he has in the past. Precisely because he'd been given a good talking to by a lot of people about um, uh, getting involved in the championship. Because if he had taken Lorenzo out uh, in the crash, he would have got criticised for that as well. I mean, there was only really one thing which which Mark Marcus could do right, and that was win the race, and he failed to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think there were opportunities for him to pass Lorenzo definitely at, at you know at that turn six, which we we, we discussed earlier. Um, there were maybe a few occasions where he could have done that, but you know his alibi rings out. Um, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if Pedroza hadn't made that move because then, you know, then we could have discussed because he was close enough before that to make mm. a move on Lorenzo. Uh, that kind of, you know, if you want to view it from a certain perspective, that gave him the perfect alibi. Yeah. Um, do I think he was riding defensively for, for Jorge? No, I, I really don't. No. Do I think um, what, what, what's gone on in the past three weeks has, has influenced, influenced him on the bike? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's impossible for yeah, it not to be. Absolutely. But, uh, uh, having Italian journalists turn up at his house and try to give him a uh, uh, a, a trophy consisting of replica genitalia is going to um, <laughs> is going to affect you somehow. It's not going to um, make you particularly uh, a particularly cheerful chappy. No, I mean the, my reading of it. Uh, it's difficult without having seen it uh, properly, but um, surely he's 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 ridden around. F behind Jorge decided he couldn't get past and get away uh, so let's sit behind him for the race and hope to put a move in later on and as we've discussed he himself uh, felt that Danny trip, tripped it up and took that chance away from him and uh, he was disappointed to finish in second place. Did you get into Park Ferme to shoot after the after the race or did you, or did you get into pit lane? Uh, unfortunately not, no, um, due to the huge amount of media interest in yeah, this Yeah, how many, 600 journalists? Highest uh, attended race of the year for, for journalists. Yeah, I mean, normally we have to get into, uh, normally we get into the on, uh, into the media centre on sort of Thursday, about lunchtime, and you've got the the choice of your seats, but uh, uh, what time did Cormac get in? Cormac got into got in and bags of the seats at uh, about nine o'clock, up plus nine, and even by then there was lots and lots of people mm. uh, uh, occupying seats. Yeah, it was it was absolutely heaving. Mm, yeah, the press conferences as well. Uh, I remember on uh, on the Thursday night at uh, uh, Valentino's press conference, it was they it, they filled the Yamaha, the the Yamaha hospitality with it, and the same with Jorge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's worth saying. I think it was the 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 most watched race um, on on Spanish television in history. Um, 
the previous most watched race had been Crivier's uh, championship triumph in Brazil in 1999. Mm. Um, and this surpassed that, I think, by a, a million, maybe even more. It was 7 million people, I think, watched the race live. 7 million spectators from a population of something like 40, 42 million. Is, uh, uh, that is a lot of viewers watching uh, uh, watching motorcycle races. That's more than... Is that what a, what a, uh, a, a Spanish national football game would would get? I'm not sure. It's it's difficult to know, but yeah, it's it's a hell of a month. I think in Italy there were similar similar figures that were you know um, through the roof. Yeah, but well, twelve million did someone say? Yeah, that? eleven something like that. Yeah, eleven yeah. million. That's a lot of a, again a population of sixty million. Um, that's you know one in six. That's basically most most TVs tuned uh, tuned to the race. Um, it wasn't the victory wasn't particularly well received was it Tony you were down there you got a spectacular photograph of uh, of Lorenzo oh, celebrating his victory yeah um, it was interesting because throughout, throughout the weekend I didn't find the atmosphere too bad I find, um, regardless of where I was there was generous applause for most people when they came around even Lorenzo going past Rossi fans at least they sounded like applause to me and didn't sound like the usual <laughs> day um the the difference was in pit lane um, where Lorenzo's garage was. There was a, quite a few Rossi fans well, up above who were booing. Right next, to, Lorenzo's yeah. garage was right next to Rossi's garage. It so, was, uh, of course. There, there tended to be a few. Uh, uh, and in Valencia, one of the great things about Valencia is they have the, uh, the uh, all that seating above the above the garages, mm. so you can sort of you can almost hang over and look at people, yeah. which is fantastic. It adds an interesting dynamic, I'm sure, for the riders if you're not very popular as Lorenzo was <laughs> yeah. proven to be. But yeah, to to go back to uh, yeah, he when when he was announced on the podium, uh, obviously he was greeted to huge boos. So was Mark Marquez, uh, probably almost as as loud. Danny was the only one who got who got a cheer when he came onto the podium. Um, but Lorenzo, Mark just seemed to turn his back on it and walk up onto the, the podium. But Lorenzo, um, and it was a lasting image for me. He just walked out to the edge of the podium as far as he could go, leant out above the crowd, and just roared at them. Yeah, and it was just uh, as as you say, you, it was a spectacular know. photograph. It really was a spectacular photograph, and it sort of makes me think that what Lorenzo needs to do is um, uh, embrace his inner Carl Fogarty, because uh, the man <laughs> is um, his his problem is is he wants to be liked um, as long as he is. Valentino Rossi's teammate and he's beating Valentino Rossi um, he's never going to be liked so he'd be better off um, uh, accepting he's going to be hated and really um, going for it, uh, going for it I heard some good stories um, from things within the paddock this week involving Jorge that people just won't get to see the, the, the more human side of it yeah um, there was a, an Irish road racer who was injured at the Northwest 200 this year and um he was a guest uh, of some of the guys, and he was sat in the Alpine Stars hospitality. And Jorge came in, went straight over to him, uh, said how great it was to see him, and hope he was doing well. And um, and uh, the guy actually was not a massive Jorge fan; he was a diehard uh, Valentino Rossi fan, and he was completely taken aback to see that side of him. Is it Stephen Thompson? It is Stephen Thompson. Yes, it is. You never really know where you are with 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 Jorge Lorenzo. I think he he has shown incredible um, uh, kindness, uh, incredible uh, sympathy for people, uh, but he can also be a little bit strange. Hmm. Uh, but, but speaking of strange, the aftermath was uh, strange, sh <laughs> shocking. I would say I I, yeah. I would say uh, shocking. Immediately, uh, Valentino Rossi, um, because Italian TV was straight into Rossi's garage. What was really interesting to me was that um, uh, Rossi spoke almost exclusively to the Italians uh, when he did his media debrief which we'll talk about in a little bit when he did it he started in in Italian he never starts in Italian he always speaks English first uh, Italian TV were, were straight into there and um, uh, Rossi basically you know launched the attack you saw the race Marquez was helping him he was his bodyguard um, uh, Marquez was being Lorenzo's bodyguard and um, uh, yeah straight straight into in, in, into 
the the same accusations from before. Yeah, and there was a collective groan around the media center whenever yeah. uh, the story went up online that <laughs> we were going to have to start reporting all this all over again. Yes, yeah, 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 it, it, exactly. I mean, because it had been a, it'd been a great race. Everyone involved had ridden fantastic races. Yep, yep. Um, well, it'd been uh, a great it, event. The atmosphere around the circuit was fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. And, and it, of course, it's tainted Jorge's championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the debrief itself was just uh, was just incredible, really. You know, there wasn't one mention of Jorge doing doing a, a good job. Um, well, what I found strangest was the fact that first of all we went in there and it was absolutely packed with the Valentino Rossi fan club. Yeah. But normally, what Yamaha do when they hold a when they hold a media debrief is they um, uh, there are a few guests in there and they chase all of the normal fans fans out. But there was I don't know fifty a hundred people. Uh, just from his fan club. Yeah, there was a couple of the VR46 Academy riders in there as well, all wearing, you know, like um, T-shirts showing their support for Rossi. Yeah. Um, certain things that he was saying throughout the press conference were being greeted with loud cheers and, you know, yeah, okay, like, you know, it's, it's fair enough getting support like that, but it was almost as if Rossi was trying to, I don't know, Trying to influence uh, opinion. Uh, oh yeah, that, know, that was because the, the the TV cameras were in there. In fact, the whole thing is up on the uh, for anyone with a MotoGP.com subscription. Um, uh, the whole press conference is up there. It's worth going to watch. It's worth watching in both Italian and English. Even if you don't speak Italian, it's still worth worth watching just to see the uh, uh, to see the reaction to see his. Uh, to see his body language, there was it, he seemed he radiated rage, he radiated fury. Yeah, cam fury, a cam rage. Yes, you know yes, there was still quiet there, was, fury. there was still that kind of cuddliness and a bit of joking and you know like playing to the crowd. But yeah, there was uh, there was a definite a definite anger seeing all that work. You know, kind of you know slipping away right at the right at the death of the championship. Yeah, I, it, it was clear just how frustrated he was at having le- uh, lost it. I think to me the most telling moment was when um, uh, Carmelo Espeleta went into Rossi's garage uh, to congratulate him on a uh, on a good uh, championship. And um, first of all, Espeleta Espeleta is the boss. Espeleta owns the paddock. He does what he likes, um, but his body language was. Uh, peculiar he was looking down he was looking away uh, rossi's body language was very was uh, um rage again a jocular rage feigned uh, feigned joking and he basically said i told you so i told you on thursday this was that this was what was going to happen and um the, uh, the then he said uh i'll see you in my motorhome later and to which carmelo espaleto said yes <laughs> which it, it, it can you imagine Bernie Ecclestone do, uh, doing that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Seth Blatter doing that? Um, uh, people who run well. Can you imagine the CEO of any of any company saying that to one of their uh, their star? It, it's Hollywood. Yeah, and, and you know it's 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 not nice to see. Um, it, it's not it's not professional. It's not sporting. Um, you know, it's one man who's you know who who has been in situations, has been in places like his debrief where he has people around him telling him that what he's doing is correct. That that you know this kind of warped view that he has that there's a conspiracy that there's a Spanish pact to kind of try and get him not to win the championship you know, you know people there's people around him that say yes Valentino the, you know, we agree with you that's true you know oh, we'll laugh at these accusations we'll jo- like you know we'll laugh at your jokes and ultimately it um, you know sadly it's kind of it seems to have left him with a slightly warped view of, of the current the current world um, you know the current competition um, the people around him. And you know, it's just um, yeah. As we kind of said earlier, it's not it's not behaviour befitting of a, of a nine time world champion and a man who's you know had one of his best seasons in MotoGP to because date. He he is a great champion. He's but, clearly yeah. a great champion, uh, as he has showed in the past. Yeah, and and there was there was also sorry uh, to interrupt there, but there's also like a there was a touch of petulance as well. You know, he didn't go to the the awards ceremony. Um, can you imagine the grief that uh, Jorge Lorenzo would have got for that from yeah. Valentino Rossi supporters had the situations been reversed and Rossi had won the championship? Lorenzo hadn't turned up. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's clearly one man who feels that perhaps he's he's slightly beyond and above it all. Yeah, and of course, um, just like Sepang, we're we're left with the fallout all over social media again today. 
Um, I presume you can't post any pictures on 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 Facebook or Instagram I, without. Um, I, I have posted. Uh, I, I posted the picture we were talking about before yeah. of, of Jorge uh, shouting on the on the podium, and fortunately, I've not had to to wield the hammer too much. But I have had to take one comment down, uh, and I know some of my other photographer friends have been in the same position of taking comments down and welcome comments, both regardless of whether they're critical or not, but not personal attacks on, um, of the nature of, of some of the comments. And yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's sickening. Really. Yeah, it is. It's not, it's not particularly pretty. No, it's not. Um, I think, you know, some, some aspects you see in, in football, um, you know, some controversial cases, uh, it, it's always, one of the problems you see is is a kind of tribalism tribalism that develops between one set of fans and another, which clouds their judgment, clouds their ability to reason. And uh, you know, I think in this situation, it's it's the same. You know, it, it's whether you're you're on one side of the fence or the other, you can't really see if your man is doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, you just kind of follow um, what he's doing, what he's saying, and and that's 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 quite sad to see. Uh, yeah, to me, the obviously the biggest problem is that. Um, uh, both sides, both interpretations of events are plausible. You can see yeah. that there are both sides, and you have to try to understand the mind of a motorcycle racer to uh, understand that motorcycle racers. I mean, if you ever, to, for God's sake, don't play cards with a motorcycle racer because <laughs> it will be, it will end up being horrible. It'll just end up really being really, really ugly. It'll, it'll be. Uh, uh, you only have to have been driven in a car by them <laughs> to know uh, to know what they're like. They, they yeah, can't exactly. switch the, the, it the, 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 yeah, yeah, the, the best story is is Cormac, who um, uh, our friend and uh, friend and photographer, who's uh, uh, also an ex racer, uh, who admitted to us that um, he will easily miss the turn off for his um, if someone overtakes him on the motorway and um, uh, shortly before his turn off to the motorway, he will drive 50 miles out of his way just to make sure and miss his turn off drive 50 miles out of his way just because he cannot stand someone a random stranger overtaking him on the motorway that's it, it's a it's a peculiar um it's a very peculiar state of uh, uh, state of mind so. he, he will of course absolutely love the fact that we've mentioned him twice <laughs> in this podcast yeah can we edit this part of the show out please <laughs> Um, I was speaking to one experienced journalist on uh, on Saturday night who I think has been working in the paddock for you know twenty thirty years, and he was kind of saying like you know it's always been like this you know when 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 things get tight when things you know between the top the absolute elite riders in this paddock you know when the when the going gets tough things get really ugly and this is nothing new you know this is this is how it happened back in the early 90s when you had those you know four or five great you know ex-champions sharing a track together it was Think, like this between Halewood yeah. uh, and Agostini yeah exactly you know and and you know with uh, with each of the, the guys that kind of came up and challenged Rossi maybe not Hayden obviously but you know Gibbernau, Biaggi, Stoner, Lorenzo before in the past it's gotten ugly at some point at, at some point uh, in their relationship yeah I'm, I'm I'm suddenly reminded of um, uh, Phil Reed's 250 Yamaha Championship, where they had uh, they were d divided up the 125 and, and 250 champion. Uh, who was his teammate? Bill Ivy. Yeah, Bill Ivy. That's right. That's right. Divided up that Bill Ivy was going to get the 250 championship, and Phil Reed was going to get the 125, and Phil Reed won the 125, and then decided. No, I think I'm going to have the 250 as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, um, the, the history of, of motorcycle racing is kind of littered with, with incidents and episodes like this. And I think once the dust settles, um, you know, once we kind of move on from all of this, which we will do. Um, tomorrow, hopefully, tomorrow. Tuesday, once the bikes hit the track again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of look back on this for, you know, for ultimately what it, what it has been, uh, you know, a fantastic, uh, you know, an absorbing final race in a, in a stunning season. I would maybe venture to say maybe the one of the well the best season I, I can remember for yeah, sure yeah in terms of racing in terms of excitement um, talking terms, talking points yeah even so talking, many points, talking just, points just everything yeah exactly uh, and and you know it's it's kind of worth saying you know the fact that Rossi's doing this although I'm not defending his actions by any stretch of you know by you know by any stretch it shows that a man who still is utterly convinced that he is the best in the sport and I think that in one respect bodes well for next year because he still sees himself as a man who's a competitive uh, force in this championship yeah absolutely I and, mean and it, he's not going to come back any slower next yeah, year or, or any less motivated yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely not yeah so, what, so no matter what you think of, of what he's been doing in the last uh, the last couple of races, you know, the fact that 
Rossi's going to be back, Pedroza, Marquez, and Lorenzo. You know, you know, four fantastic, four great riders uh, are going to be there. You know, with with a few other contenders thrown in. I think it's um, you know, it, in in one respect, bodes well for next year. Uh, and of course, next year we have uh, Michelin, uh, Michelin tires. We got the spec electronics. So much is going to change. Um, things are really going to get th- to, um, thrown upon head. Uh, we will be talking about this later this week. They'll be doing. Uh, we'll be doing another podcast later this week where we once we've actually seen the bikes uh, out testing. But um, uh, yeah, testing starts on Tuesday. It's going to be. It's going to be fascinating. Before we finish, there was another title settled um, at Valencia. Um, obviously, it wasn't just the MotoGP title. The, the MotoGP race was the was the biggest one. But we also saw. Um, uh, 38 years of hurt as I think as the uh, the song, the song, the song goes went. yes exactly please don't remind me of that song <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, three it lines was, on the shirt no you don't no, want to yeah, sing that one no Come on, no, no we really you, don't want you're it. speaking to a half Dutchman and an Irishman over here <laughs> and, I, and I'm a Manxman so I've got no interest in singing that song <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, after qualifying in Moto Three, Danny Kent. I mean, uh, Danny Kent came into the championship with, with uh, came into Valencia with a, a twenty-four point lead. He only needed to finish fourteenth. Uh, under normal circumstances, uh, he could they they could sit him on his bike backwards, and he'd still finish a uh, fourteenth. Yeah. But then there was qualifying. There was qualifying, and you know, as. You know when you when we saw what happened in uh, on Saturday at Phillip Island, we saw what happened on, on Saturday at Sepang. Uh, yeah, it looked like Danny was overthinking things. Yeah. Uh, you know, just putting too much thought into it rather than just going out and riding. And uh, yeah, it wasn't looking good. I, I was amazed whenever I saw the, the kind of the close of the Moto Three session. Um, and it, yeah, it, he was done at eighteenth. Uh, Oliver was fourth. You know, Oliver is just in a run where. You know, he's just sweeping all all beside. You know, he really is in a spectacular totally, run Totally, yeah, yeah, and totally controlling races. Yeah, yeah, always just, either, always in the top three, even in those really, uh, really tough fights, always close enough to the front to be able to... He was basically doing what, uh, was. what, what Kent was doing in the first half yeah, of the he, season. He was showing that like total self-assurance that Kent was showing in the first half of the year. Um, Kent, you know, his performance on Saturday kind of went against what he was saying on Thursday before the race. He yeah. kind of said that he came in here and because he knew that Oliver had to win, which he wasn't sure of, all he had to do was finish 14th. The pressure was a lot less than it was in Sepang and Phillip Island, but you kind of got the impression on Saturday that things were maybe just getting to him. Yeah, I, I spoke to Peter Bolm, his, his crew chief, on uh, on Saturday, went and had a long chat with him and um, uh, Peter basically said uh, at some point, he could see that, uh, that that Danny was getting nervous. He sent him into Valencia and said, go get a beer. Uh, uh Go off, do something else. Um, the most interesting comment was after the uh, after the race when Danny had finally done it. Uh, after what turned into a little, there was there was there was uh, still plenty of drama in the in the race. There was a few nervous moments in the uh, media centre while we were sat watching. Yeah, that race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think twitchy yeah. bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> the final, yeah, the final laps. Um, you know, wasn't just the fact that his teammate Hiroki Ono wouldn't leave him alone. It was that Ono was clearly seeing that the group behind him, which I think was led by Philip Bottle, was closing rapidly. I think it, you know, it closed by about two seconds in two or three laps. Yeah. Ono was signaling Danny, get a move on, tuck him behind me here. Like I'll let you through, but come on, we need to go through. And you just thought, oh my god, like this is going right down to the wire. Um, and, you know, by that stage, I think you know there was an era of inevitability about uh, about the, the the race winner you know Oliveira yeah. was doing exactly what he had done in Phillip Island exactly what he had done in Mugello uh, Assen where else uh, Sepang yeah. you know just you know holding station in the final lap before making his move um but thankfully, you know, Danny did what he what he did, and fair play. You know, he um, I think he's he's a deserving champion. I'm not just saying that because you know he's he's ended that that wait for for a British champion. Um, but he was the class of the field. He was you know so much better than than the rest of the field in in the first nine races. Yeah. Um, and you know, ultimately, he did what he had to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, winning Moto three races by ten seconds is yeah, exactly. completely yeah. unheard of. Yeah. You had uh, you had you know MotoGP bosses coming out and saying that that is completely unheard of. And you know, you know, how often is it you hear a Moto three rider pricking the ears of uh, of team bosses in the MotoGP class, and yeah. for them to be thinking, okay, I think we should uh, we should sign this guy. Uh, yeah, exactly. To to actually be even getting offers. It shows that there was there was something special, and it was the. the it also showed to me. It really showed the importance of the uh, of a good team 
the right team because before he was in he was in IO the IO team and Aki IO is a, a clearly a brilliant team manager you just look at all of the talent that's come through his garage and, and the talent he's produced um, but he does have a particular management style which is to um, uh, but, but yeah kick ass and take names um, um, and there's also that- a lot of riders in that team um, you know which you know when Danny was riding for the Husqvarna outfit last year you know maybe he didn't have the, the kind of attention um, yeah. that, that he needed to feel like he was the most important person in that garage you know, something that he clearly felt at the start of this year. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. But it's also about a, a particular environment. Uh, oh, yeah, sure, certainly, sure. it's much more of a much more of a family a family environment. Uh, it's much more. It, it what Danny needed was for someone to build him up and give him give him confidence uh, to tell him, it, "Look, really, you're talented. You're fine. You're going to win this. You can do this." And yeah. that that is exactly that's exactly what. What um, what he got told by by the Kiefer team and the people around it? Yeah, exactly. And Peter Baum, a guy that has worked with Fabian Foray, with Chris Vermeulen, uh, Cal Crutchlow, Stephen Bradle in the past. Uh, you know, he he told me earlier in the year that he had to sit Danny down one stage and say, "Look, Danny, I think you're probably the most talented rider I've worked for." And he said that Danny looked at him and said, "Really? <laughs> you think that?" You know, like, and it's uh, you know sometimes it just takes. You know, uh, words like that to to, to kind of unlock um, the true potential of of a, a you know what is a, a clear talent like yeah. Danny. And also, I think it got the monkey off his back because uh, the I think in both the Aprilia Super Teens and in Red Bull Rookies, he lost championships by a single point or by by nothing at all in the final race. Yeah. In the final race, yeah, yeah. In the final Ex- race of the year. Yeah. exactly. And the, the 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 those are the events. It's we, you saw it in fact earlier this year with Bastianini with Antonelli. Uh, they finally get a pole. They finally win a race and then bang that's it they're at the front every single time because something changes mentally yeah exactly and you feel that if he hadn't won that race and sorry if he hadn't won that championship it would have been something that would have stayed with him for you know quite a long time you know considering the gap the the lead in the championship that he had after silverstone um you that takes some getting over if you lose you know a lead like that in championship and um you know a great way to go into Moto2 um, alongside Oliveira who is a guy on the other side of the garage who can I think really push him on to you know to a good level yeah and, and because the two of them are so different I think he's going to be it's going to it's going to make a very interesting team um, very capable team so uh, we shall see um, last bit uh, memories of this weekend Tony oh um, Lorenzo on the podium at the end roaring back out at the crowd uh i'd rather take something like that than all the negative things that um have been going on so yeah for me that that will be a memory that'll stick in my mind uh two things for me one was lorenzo's pole position lap uh you know one of uh, i mean marquez's lap in texas earlier in the year was just something extraordinary lorenzo's lap yeah on saturday was something spectacular as well we spoke to bradley smith on saturday evening he said that he was absolutely flat to the mat through the final sector the big long left he was sliding both wheels or both tires he was really getting his bike all out of shape and then he went back and he saw that lorenzo was half a second or four tenths of a second faster in that sector alone that, that was that was you know we we witnessed something really special there and then the other one was uh, was it was trying to do the live commentary and crashed on then the final five laps of that MotoGP race with my hands shaking and basically I couldn't keep my head above the table because it was so tense. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 exactly. I think uh, um, for me, I mean, I got wrapped up in the politics of it all. Uh, the the. Um, the downside and upside, I think, was was definitely the politics. Was was the the the, the way that the uh, that Valentino Rossi turned the turned the championship around. He spat, he put his own spin on the way that the championship happened. Uh, the react, especially the reaction of Carmelo Espeleta, I found very very uh, telling and um, a little sad. Uh, but again, Lorenzo's pole lap, that race, those last five laps. Uh, Danny Kent. I mean, like I'm an I'm an expat. I haven't lived in England for over 35 years, and yet I still find myself choking up when um, when when Danny Kent finally crossed the line because I'd been getting up. Uh, I hadn't been to the flyaways. Been getting up at five o'clock in the bloody morning. Um, and I'm not a morning person. I really normally I I'm just about getting my uh, getting my roundups finished at five o'clock in the morning, getting ready to go to bed. You're not so, a morning person, really. <laughs> I never noticed. You, you hadn't. You don't no, normally no. go to bed till the morning. So. 
<laughs> yes, in that way, I am a morning person. But yeah, uh, getting up so early every morning, hoping that he'd finally get to do it, watching the race and seeing him uh, find a way to not do it. Um, really, that was it. Was uh, it was something special? And he's um, he's a he's just a lovely bloke. It, it's someone who you really you know. Nobody could say. I feel sorry for Miguel Oliveira because, again, fantastic, fantastic human being and a great rider. And a, uh, he would have been a great champion too. But both of them deserve that championship. It's a shame one of them had to lose. Uh, you know, something we could say about MotoGP as well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, two, two, great, uh, two great riders going at it. And, you know, both would have been deserving champions. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, you look at it, uh, if you look at it from a different perspective, there were um, uh, the the, uh, the 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 real shame was that somebody had to lose. It would have yeah. been you know the the best result would have been uh, the uh, both getting a draw on that uh, yeah. on the right. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It didn't happen. But and, yeah, I think Lorenzo, definite deserving champion, stellar stellar year. Rossi, what he did this year confirmed to me that he's the greatest of all time. You know, with or without the baggage of the last three races, in terms of riding ability, I think you know what he did was just stellar. Even though he missed out in the championship in the end, yeah, yeah, exceptional. Right. Well, that was. Uh, thank you very much for listening for the Paddock Pass podcast. As we uh, said, there'll be another one soon. We'll be able to talk about 2016. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, who goes fast on the Michelins and who doesn't. I think there's still a lot of work to do there. Um, really going to be intrigued to see who's going to be testing the uh, the spec electronics and how those handle. Um, a lot to look forward to. Jack Miller on a uh, on a on a proper factory bike. Um, Scott Redding uh, off of the off of the Honda and onto a Ducati. He hasn't been able to get uh, get off it fast enough. Um, yeah, there's uh, Paul Espargaro who's desperate to get on the uh, on the Michelins. There, I'm already looking forward to 2016. Yeah, so absolutely. Time to read the mini bar. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. You can find us on Facebook and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to leave a review on iTunes as it helps other listeners find us. Thank you and see you next time. Uh, it's all right. So, sorry, well, I, I can talk about it if you like. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. But I don't want to keep talking. I'm such, oh, a, yeah. such a media whore. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, Jensen.